from Practically Culture. The guys who brought you Logan's mini TV reviews. I'm your host, Logan Bow, podcasting from Brooklyn. And Bob's mini movie reviews. I'm joined by the one, the only Bob Caswell in the Bay Area. How are you, Bob? I'm great. How are you? Introducing a new mini podcast. Oh, hanging out. You know me. Nice. Practically Culture Masters of Sex. A new mini podcast devoted to recapping every episode of Masters of Sex Season 1. Okay, Bob. Masters of Sex. It's a theme episode. Freud, Freud, Freud. Clitoral (laughs) orgasms are for little girls, he says. Virginia's pretty sure that's hogwash. So, you know, uh, Ginny and Jane decide to test different kinds of female orgasms. And Jane's clitoris beat her vagina. That's crazy. Maybe a woman doesn't need a man after all. Can you believe it? (laughs) This is all, like, said from the... 2013 perspective looking back on all this craziness that's happening in the 1950s (laughs) (laughs) right it it is sort of interesting and i guess i i didn't realize that but it's not implausible that uh there was the idea that what that women couldn't masturbate or that was it wasn't as good as if you had a man um so that's actually kind of interesting to me yeah and i guess that's not that long ago where some dude named freud okay granted he's world-renowned and famous and and has reasons to be taken seriously but i still have to say was this really how history was happened where you know he has this theory on female orgasms and the rest of the world is like yeah that's probably true and then that's just the (laughs) what everyone believes for a while it's just random i don't know well keep in mind that you know bill's one of the very first people to actually do any research on it so you know, he had to have some sort of theory, I guess. It's probably a step up from whatever they had before. <laughs> I, um, the What, the, the women couldn't masturbate? I, I have no idea. Uh, it's probably progress, but it was obviously extremely limited. Right. Well, and, and maybe that's part of the interesting aspect of this episode, because taking the show at face value, if this is, if this is accurate, it, it is having us have this discussion in the sense that it makes me wonder, wow, um, the world... Uh, really has come a long way in the last 50 60 years if all this is true exactly as they showed it or close to how they showed it so wow yeah well i bet it's close and uh, that is something that is a good takeaway we have come a long way it's easy to get complacent um so after uh jane and Ginny do their tests Ginny calls bill in florida so that's this whole other aspect of this uh this episode because bill's in florida with libby to get away from the miscarriage and they have frisky neighbors, which also end up coming into play. The frisky neighbors gets Libby in the mood, but Bill just wants to observe them, uh, you know, as the as the scientist. Like, they're over 60. They can't be having sex. Yet another uh, <laughs> sort of cliche at the time. Um, Libby finally gets upset and sends Bill back home. And then Libby hits the scene herself, pretending to be a widow with a couple of kids to her noisy neighbors. They get drunk and Libby starts embarrassing herself. And then the husband comes on to Libby that night, which freaks her out, and she doesn't go for it. But I'm actually a little disappointed Libby didn't end up getting a freak on a little bit more. If not with Morris, then with someone else, maybe? I don't know. How did you feel? <laughs> I thought it was well played, uh, or or at least believable and, and in character for her. She's pretty... Um, you just feel sad for her, because she's adorable, but... That's also <laughs> feels like I'm being, uh, what's the right word? Condescending. Condescending. Thank you. Cause I probably am, but that's just, uh, yeah. she wants the freedom to live life 
in it, to its fullest, but in the way that she thinks of that, what that means, and it's it's not that much beyond what Bill wants to do, actually. But it's the the, the Delta is actually a big deal between them, um, <laughs> and I think this episode showed that. Like as soon as she went out on her own, she bit off more than she could chew, and she had no idea what she was in for. And uh, I think she's just confused and having a real tough time not having that baby and on a vacation and jumping into something else uh, too quickly with her lies. But it, it, it my heart goes out to quick. her for whatever it's worth. I don't know what that means for a fictional character, but that's how I feel. Yeah, well, you know, this is something that, that Mad Men does too. And you just see how every person is trapped in the in the social structures of the time that no one or many people are not really that happy. And it's not really no one's fault. It's just sort of the time they live in. And you can feel bad for pretty much everyone. It's true. You know, how how is it uh, doing for you, Logan, on the make Logan feel like shit meter um, as Mad Men does for you sometimes when it's at its best? And maybe we, we need to explain that again if, for those who haven't listened to our Mad Men uh, oh. recaps. But <laughs> Yeah, one of my favorite things, oddly, about Mad Men is when it makes me feel like shit. Just it, in surprising ways. I can watch an episode of Mad Men and just be thrown into a funk for like days afterward. And I take that as a sign of its greatness, actually. <laughs> um, so it's a, it's a recurring theme that uh, the more something makes me feel like shit, uh, oftentimes, uh, the more I like it. Um, <laughs> this, one, this one goes in that direction sometimes. It's nowhere near on the level of Mad Men, or even Breaking Bad could do that sometimes. Um, I, feel, I feel sorry for people, but it doesn't resonate with the same dread that I feel in 2013, the way Mad Men can somehow be about that time and about this time so poignantly. Right. Uh, I'm going to say it slightly differently. I mostly agree with you, but I have to say that something about the freshness of this show and the premise and uh, just everything coming at me a mile a minute, um, I'm, I really enjoy those same aspects that you're highlighting from Mad Men, but much more than Mad Men just because... Uh, Mad Men is so tiresome for me by comparison. Like this is like early Mad Men for me, where I, where I am with <laughs> Masters of Sex, if that makes sense. That that does make sense. That's really interesting. So cool. I'm actually I'm actually glad when the, when the, there's TV that people love and reasons people like it. So cool. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So Jane was actually at that Freud event with uh, with Ginny and Bill, and uh, wait, was Bill there? I can't remember, but Jane was. And uh, so she tells Dr. Langham that his impotence problem is in his head. So Langham sees a psychoanalyst who gives him some psychobabble. And I actually rolled my eyes a little bit about this. I think the show is taking a decidedly anti-psychology angle on this. And you brought up how ridiculous Freud's theories are. That's true. In a lot of ways, he's an easy target these days. He's very unfashionable. But I also think it's trendy to think medicine is scientific and psychology is more wishy-washy, which is a bit simplistic on the other hand, what are on my three hands now? Even though it annoys me today, it's probably relatively appropriate for the time period in these uh, these new researchers at the time. So, anyway, kind of anti-psychology, huh. I thought they were. So, I didn't get that same vibe, and I'm now retroactively thinking it oh, through. Oh, okay. Um, Interesting. We're, well, I mean, he, the, the psychologist, I guess... Um, was it a psychologist or a psychiatrist? I don't. I don't know. Psychoanalyst. I think, Psych psychoanalyst um, was quick to jump to a conclusion that this was all about his mother and and had like an easy solution. And maybe that was a little like, whoa, slow down. You uh, you just met this dude and you you read him after 
30 seconds or so i think you know what i mean bob <laughs> i think you do right um okay now i'm convincing myself to be in the same camp you are a little bit more but i still feel like the show was sort of uh just condensing a lot of material for the one scene but um i give it some leeway and that being the ultimate conclusion but not necessarily literally played out in that 30 seconds if that makes any sense yeah fair enough i mean i I don't know. I just, I felt like there wasn't any, well, and I don't know if I really want to go on defending Freud per se, but <laughs> there is everything they brought up was so they could knock it down. There wasn't like, oh, well, that's kind of true, but kind of incomplete. And in that instance, it's mostly that Freud was just wrong, it seems like. Um, but I thought they extended it to psychologists and psychology generally. And mostly that was brought home to me on that psychoanalysis with Dr. Langham. Uh, scene that you just mentioned but anyway i it's my own little thing and i don't think that's a big deal of the show i just thought i'd bring it up and uh so it's brought up all right cool uh provost scully meets his usual prostitute and asks if he ever talked to bill he denies it and the show has been a little bit coy about how bill knew that but that prostitute is the one that talked to bill right so it's yeah. possible that's how bill found out that's I, that's, I think it was just the prostitute lying through his teeth and trying to play it cool. That's how I watched the scene. Yeah, so this scene made me... Well, at the time, a few episodes ago, I, I was unclear whether it, it was something that Provost Scully shared with Bill and now Bill was going to use it to blackmail him. But now I, it does sort of make me think that that guy told Bill and uh, that's why Bill threw it in there, insinuated it. And that's uh, why it was so devastating. So I, I think you're right that he lied through his teeth. That, that's how I'm choosing to interpret it now. Okay. Uh, I even thought that, and maybe I'll have to go back and check out that older episode, there was an indirect wink-wink exchange between Bill and the prostitute where the show didn't want them to, didn't want it to be obvious dialogue, but that was the takeaway I got at the time. So I'm even more maybe oh, okay. on board with, with, with that uh, reading than you are because I already felt that that was what it was uh, before, but whatever. Okay. Well, that that definitely could have been right if I remember. It just has never quite spelled it out yet, so that's yeah. the only reason that I'm thinking. But this is more evidence that that's the case. Um, so Mrs. Scully hears about Bill's study, and she wants in, but she can't because she's never had an orgasm. And we see a picture of a very tragic 50s woman who hasn't really had much sexual experience, and she wants to be in the study to remedy that, but that ends up being what keeps her out. And this is where it gets the closest to the Mad Men effect you were just talking about for me. Um, but it was really just sympathy for them. It wasn't like a gut punch to, to my stomach. Um, but, you know, family life's tragic for everyone. Scully, Mrs. Scully, everyone's everyone's trapped on those distant ends of that dinner table. Yeah, yeah. I don't have much to add. I, I agree with you. And it was um, it was sad until it was happy but still complicated. <laughs> You mean, I assume, when Dr. Langham and Mrs. Scully hook up after the movies? Right. Like, this, this, uh, I don't want to overstate this point because it's not like it's that brilliant, but the show is messing with us in terms of emotions and what sexuality uh, means and people's relationships because you want to assume that, you know, there's two sides of your brain working, at least with me, like, oh no, you're both married and this is bad, but then you're so vested in what the show's about and the characters that you just don't care as much either, because it's like, no, this is how the world works, this is the point, is 
sexual compatibility isn't the same as how you've been aligned in marriage and especially back in those days and uh that's what this show's about so we see that yeah i agree it was very odd because you're right you're cheering for them to hook up um but they're both adulterers but i i sort of wish that the show had made us feel a little bit guiltier about that because we've never met langham's wife that i can remember we certainly don't know her very well right and and Scully's married to this gay dude, and they haven't had sex less than once a year. So it's like, well, even though it's quote-unquote cheating, I don't think he's going to mind that much. Um, so it's a very low-stake sort of adultery, you know what I mean? Yeah, which is uh, the perfect segue, unless you have something else to say. But I was going to say that's the perfect segue to uh, Bill and Virginia's relationship, because that's a much higher-stakes uh, form of quasi-adultery, or I don't know what to call it, but... Wow. That's science, Bob. Oh, oh, excuse me. That's right. That's the disclaimer on that one. <laughs> uh, but, but you're right. So Bill, you know, finally is like, I don't think you should be my secretary. You should be my research assistant. And then all of a sudden she seems to be saying, she's so happy. She's saying, okay, you know how you wanted to do the research together? Uh, here's step one. <laughs> so uh, that is interesting how that's going to go. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what more to say about that, but... Uh, because Definitely that have our eye on it. Yeah, I mean, in that one, you do feel concerned because Libby is frustrated and you want things to work out for Libby, but uh, it just feels like Bill is... There's an incompatibility between Libby and Bill, and, and part of it is... Uh, I, can't, I can't quite decide if it's uh, these two people are incompatible or if it's just a typical, you know, a stereotypical uh, growing apart in a marriage that isn't working because the two sides aren't trying hard enough, and the show's sort of playing with that. You you think that, that it could work between the two of them. And there's almost a scene early on when they're on their vacation together where you're like, and now the spark comes back or was it never there before? Or was it, uh, I don't know. Is this a relationship worth saving or not? Ah, I can't tell. Right. That, that's a very good point. The adultery is a little bit higher stakes there. So, um, I guess we'll see. Well, it's science. Is it adultery if it's science? Well, I have a feeling they will push that boundary. I'm sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, anything more you want to say before we wrap up, Bob? You know, I love this show. It's it's my current front runner for best new TV in a long time, uh, especially because it's a new it's a new show. It's not Breaking Bad or or Mad Men or something that's sort of coasting on the good graces of what it accomplished even better earlier. Uh, and from that standpoint, I'm just I'm just thrilled by it. Yeah, well, I agree, and it's really coming into its own. It's still hitting all the right notes on the track to being one of the better shows on TV. Uh, the characters keep becoming richer and more complicated. And to me, that's one of the keys to a great show. So, yeah, I- I'm really loving the trajectory. It's got potential to um, to be a really great show. And so far, it- it's been doing that. So, excellent work. Thumbs up. Listen to us on iTunes or PracticallyCulture.com. Also, find us on Facebook. A mini podcast from Practically Culture. Practically Culture Masters of Sex.